The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about today. A USC getting blown out in the Coliseum by the Oregon Ducks. In the topics, we have Clay Helton's era ending. Is this the beginning of the end, guys? I think USC fans hope that it is. Uh, so we'll talk about that, the future of the program, and maybe get into the game a little bit, talk about the specifics. Uh, and we'll talk about hashtag special teams. Ryan, you wrote an article about uh, USC special teams, specifically about kickoff and kickoff return. You even asked Clay Helton about it in his uh, Sunday night conference call. So we'll get your take on that, Ryan. Sure. Uh, and then, like I say, every week, free therapy. But I think this week it, it stands true more <laughs> more than the other weeks. You can call us at live at 5124-TUNNEL. And uh, we'll take your comments, questions, and concerns, as well as wherever you're watching this. I believe we are live on YouTube and Periscope. Working on Facebook. Not sure if that's live yet, but we'll get that going. Uh, but you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. But guys, a lot to talk about today. Ryan, where do you want to start? Well, yeah, I don't know. Like, If this is really going to be therapeutic for people, uh, our friends over at Raina Troy, usually you'll get the uh, Alicia rant uh, on the uh, car cast after the game. And she was sort of calm. I think... People now were worried after every time USC wins a game. What does this mean? Is this some signature win for Clay Helton? Certainly beating Oregon. And the way USC looked in the beginning of that game felt like, wow, this could be Utah all over again, you know? Uh, obviously, that wasn't the case. Rewatching the game this morning, there's three minutes left or two minutes and 38 seconds left, and USC's winning in the first half. And USC's winning. Like, it's 10 to 7, which you're like, wow, you kind of forget. Like, at the end, you know... That 56-7 to seven run was insane. But before that, you know, USC was doing pretty good. Um, so I think some of this is sort of like, all right, people are just over it. They know the end is near. When is it going to happen? A lot of people wanted to see some sort of change today. They're, you know, they're switching into a new athletic director. We have been told at some point. So, you know, that's a big deal. You need that to happen really probably before anything else does. Um, so it's, 
I, I think I don't know if it's going to be therapeutic, Keely. It's just going to be more about this is sort of the expected result. Do you really care what happens in the last three games? Yeah, you want to beat UCLA. You want to win these games and stuff. But fans just want to see what happens next. It's sort of like the recruiting thing. Like people want to know who the next great player is. They want to know what's going on recruiting. Then they get on campus and sometimes they don't care as much. Right now, they just want to know what's next as far as the head coach goes. They're not necessarily concerned if this this season ends up five and seven or eight and four. But that that result was not expected that way. No, the result wasn't. Not at no. All. No. Not, not 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 in the, the the shellacking that USC got. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and you go, it's ten nothing. It should be at least fourteen nothing when you mm-hmm. when the defense gives you the ball at the eight yard line. You need to punch that in. You know that, and I said it at the time uh, on you know I tweeted it out that if you're going to upset a top ten team. Now, whether you want to say, I know earlier this year when USC beat Utah, people were flipping, that's not an upset. USC should beat Utah at home. Well, Utah's ranked in the top 10 at the time, and you're not ranked at all. So, yes, it is an upset. And you had your third-string quarterback. Yeah, and the same thing here against Oregon. Yes, it would have been an upset. Uh, They were favored in the game, Oregon was. So, if you want to upset a top 10 team, you have to take advantage of things, especially early in a game. You know, you have to put pressure on a team that is, you know, is favored. And USC didn't do that. They let them off the hook there, so they take a ten nothing lead. But then they're, they're driving the ball. They move the ball well the first half. Yeah. You know, I said this after the game, and it's it's hard to separate these two things. And you know, some of you guys may you know hate that I say this, but you look at just the offensive play and the defensive play. If you can t- if you can take the turnovers out, now you can't really do that. But if you can take the turnovers out, USC. Offense did better than Oregon's offense. USC's defense was better than Oregon's defense in the first half. Yeah, so like way better. Like, so I think it was like 113 like offensive yards for Oregon, and they had 112 yards in penalties. Like it was great. Like stat sheet wise, USC won a lot of the game. They were they had more yards throughout most of the game. So of course you would expect that USC would be down 28 17 and a half. Right, because you gave up a offense a, a special teams turn a, a touchdown and a defensive touchdown. To Oregon, so those two things dramatically swing the, the event. Plus the other turnovers, you know, you're, you got the ball inside the ten yard line. You fumble the ball, give it to them. You know, you're driving the ball and you throw the the interception off of Drake London's hands. You know, those things, you know, all led up to it because they scored on I, I think three of the four turnovers. You know, at least yeah, twenty one straight points. They had, they scored eight straight touchdowns. If you guys remember the Rose Bowl, that Penn State scored seven straight touchdowns. Uh, seven straight touchdowns. This game was eight straight touchdowns, which is crazy. So three straight plays because uh, Oregon scored a touchdown and then you had the pick six and then kickoff return or whatever, back to back to back. Penn State scored four straight touchdowns, like four plays in a row. I forget what it was, but it was like touchdown. It was like bookend oh, and was, stuff. It was like insane. So, Saquon Barkley. Crazy. But, but eight in a row, uh, eight, eight drives in a row giving up touchdowns. So it was like punt, interception, punt. Then touchdown, 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 touch, all the way through. So just crazy. I mean, you can't – obviously you can't do that. And uh, USC did. But, the yeah, the end of the first half was insane. USC was winning with, like, a little over two and a half minutes left. Oregon punches it in, pick six. USC scores, kickoff return for a touchdown. It's like that. the end of that half was just absolutely crazy. And that just looked to me like it wasn't a buttoned-up team that was trying to – to beat a top ten team, I mean, th- there's two really, really big plays in in the game. The targeting of Isaiah Paul Mao, I think, changed a lot of things. Yeah, because that's 
just another body that goes out on that in that secondary. Now you have you know C.J. Pollard, who is an older guy but it is inexperienced, and Chase Williams are side by side, and they're making the calls in the back end of that. And Oregon made some adjustments to throw a lot of quick short passes. You know, besides the touchdowns the, in the the second half touchdowns that Justin Herbert threw, he may have thrown one ball beyond five yards. Like that was the only time they actually, you know, he actually threw the ball down the field. It was just quick stuff because they knew USC was blitzing a ton, uh, and that was what wor- was working for USC yeah. early because Oregon was trying to attack deep, and you know there were opportunities there. And Justin Herbert's not a great quarterback; he misses the throw over the middle <laughs> that that Greg Johnson knocks away. I don't care about his numbers. A lot of people disagree with you. I don't care about his numbers. <laughs> he was not a great quarterback, especially early in that game. He he had some bad throws in that. He throws the ball right to Isaiah Polamau. Um, you, you know that the numbers look really good as far as completion percentage and stuff because he was throwing the ball three yards. Yeah. Now he made some good throws, and this is the same thing I've, I've said leading into the game was that he can make some special throws. He's not consistent at all, and he struggles with some other throws that he should be much better at. Um, and they, what happened is he didn't have to do it because their run game woke up a little bit in the second half, and then they went play action. He was ten of ten on play action. Wow. It went for like 130, 140 yards. So you look at his stats and you go, well, what was he not on play action? It was like 11 of 19. He wasn't that great. But they were able, once you they got the lead, you know, you're expecting them to run the ball more. Now you can go play action. And that's when they started killing USC, uh, you know, killing USC's defense. And we talked about it before. It looked like they, uh, before the show started, it looked like they, they quit for the first time. Yeah. In that's, that second half. That's what I was going to jump in with is that the one thing we talked about last week is, the only thing we know about this team throughout this whole season was that they have fight. They they don't quit. But it seemed like yesterday, last night, that was the one thing that was prevalent is that they, they quit. They they gave up. And we're already getting flooded with a lot of questions of did something happen in the locker room at, at halftime? What happened with the dynamics of the team? What did you see from this team? What have you heard about what happened in this team? I know we've heard some stuff, but people just want to know what led to kind of the second half collapse. Yeah, I think it's sort of more of a floodgate sort of breaking open uh, situation yeah. where, you know, what was the narrative going into this, which I didn't agree with the entire time is, you know, we control our own destiny and all that stuff. And then once that became apparent, like at halftime, you knew that that wasn't going to be the case anymore. Like you knew who was going to win that football game. There wasn't, I don't think anyone in the, the Coliseum thought, well, you know what, USC's, they're right there. They're going to come back and, uh, I, you know, that kickoff return, I think, took the air out of any kind of sa- the sales that USC had. And I feel like, you know, any kind of, we've heard that there was some arguing, some confrontations going on in the locker room. I mean, I know, you know, once, you know, things happen where the defense gives you the ball inside the 10 and you're not able to score, I think there's going to be some uh, frustration fr- frustration between the, t- from the, the different groups. And then against, with the special teams, you know, and uh, giving up a kickoff return for a touchdown. After it was a really great offensive drive capped off by Michael Pittman's, just willing his way into the end zone on that one. I, you could see where there would be some frustrations. We've seen some stuff on the sidelines. We've heard things about that. You know, I don't know all the details or whatever, but that it seemed like it all came to a head. And at that point, you didn't see the same kind of fight to me in the second half. And uh, I think that was more apparent when, hey, we we don't control our own destiny anymore. You could still kind of that delusion of, hey, we can win the Rose Bowl and stuff. Stores seemed like it went out the window. That, that's that's my opinion of what was going on. And then you just didn't see the same kind of effort in the second half. Yeah, I yeah. think I think the the second biggest play besides Paul Miles targeting was the kickoff return because you you've given away a ton of the momentum when you were up 10, 10 set or ten nothing, and you know they've taken a twenty one ten lead, but you fought back. You 
rally down the field, take advantage of a couple penalties. The Pac-12 officials, again, were terrible last night on both ways. Yeah, yeah, both ways. You know, calling a double unsportsmanlike conduct on a kid. Now, I know he was up in some – he wasn't even in the re- – he wasn't looking at the ref. He was yelling past him. Uh, you know, those type of things. Like, those are very Pac-12 calls. The, the BS like, pass interference call that the USC was awarded on the Tyler Vaughns. Oh, yeah. Where he didn't get touched at all. And then yeah, that guy makes a really great play, bats the ball away, and they call pass interference. Never, then, never touches Tyler Vaughn. And then but Tyler Vaughn gets tripped, and then he gets not yeah. tripped. He gets hit. The, the safety yeah. seeks him out and hits him because they were trying to do some different things, trying to throw USC's routes off, and the ball's in the air. It should be a pass interference. It goes for an interception. Goes. It was a really way. nice one-handed interception too, but that shouldn't have happened, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So the the Pac-12 refs were terrible, but it's twenty-one seventeen. You've driven down. Great play there from from Slovis to Pittman. They're playing some bracket coverage. It was the same similar thing. Troy Dye comes out and hits Michael Pittman to try to throw him off his route, and then they have a safety coming over as well, and they fit it in the window. It was a great play by Slovis to Pittman there. Touchdown. 21-17, you've got momentum back. You, you can go into halftime. Okay, we got to do this. we got to make some changes here. We've been moving the ball on them, blah, blah, blah. You've got confidence going in the second half. Yeah, it's 20 seconds left. I decide, okay, I'm, I'm just going to try to meet some people at halftime. So I, like, take off. And then you hear some cheers. I'm like, what the heck happened? Yeah, I was telling Keely, <laughs> I was like, okay, as soon as this kickoff, because I was going yeah, to get some photos of the guys running down a kickoff, I'm going to run in and, you know, dump all my photos and stuff. And then I was like, well, never mind. USC is going to get the ball back. And who knows? If, and they got the ball back at the 50, so they had a chance to do something there too. But but that kickoff return changed everything. Yes. So why didn't you squib kick it? Why didn't you pooch kick it? Why didn't you, you – you watch the broadcast after rewatching it today, and Urban Meyer is on the, the broadcast. They crushed them. And they he's crushed. like, why would you do that? You got to sky kick it. You got you to squib kick it. You can't give the ball back to him. And he and he was also crushing, to an extent, Joel Klatt and uh, Gus Johnson, <coughs> who were Stupid. saying, well, you know, Justin Herbert's got a really big arm, so maybe that's why they did it. They're trying to justify it a little bit. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. You play the percentages. You don't do it. Now, I will say – I've had conversations with John Baxter, I don't know, over the last three years or so, and he hates it when other teams kick away from their returners. And he has said previously, he's like, I would never do that. And it's like, well. Is that like a courtesy? Like, what? I don't get it. Yeah. Like, he just thinks it's, you know, that that's. Like unsportsmanlike? To an extent, yeah. I think that's how he feels about it. But um, so they decide to kick it and trust their kickoff coverage unit. And Clay Helton was saying that the kickoff coverage unit has been doing great. But their their kickoff specialist, Alex Stadhouse, has four tackles already on the season. You know, he's had multiple in games recently, which tells me that the kickoff coverage unit is not doing great because that guy should never be making a tackle. Right. Yeah. I mean, because I was going to say, how much of it is just about the, the coverage unit not giving 100%? Because I was on the field, and it looked like they were kind of going 80. Kind of, you know, it's the end of the, the half it won't be a a full effort from Oregon. I just didn't feel like they were in it as as much as they could have been. On the conference call, Clay Helton said that the one guy didn't stay in his lane, which I think that's a pretty if, – if if one guy messes up on a kickoff and you give up a touchdown, I, I mean, that seems like there should be a little bit of redundancy put in there, I guess. But, the yeah, Alex Stathouse, the kicker, was – well, I don't know where he was, but he was – you know, usually he's around there like he's kind of filling that hole. He was having to run sideways, and they're just – I mean, I don't think anybody touched him. He's not getting um, touched. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where you don't, you don't see USC squib kick or stuff a lot, but I like those situations where you do something different 
you pop it up to the 20. What you used to do, and we'll talk about this later, but before they changed the rule last year, you saw a lot of kind of pop-up kickoffs because you're trying to get people to return it from like the one or the two or the, you know, inside the five, and then you can stop them before the 25, something like that. Uh, anything and it, you know sometimes they let the ball bounce and you can jump on it and you know there, there's a lot of crazy stuff that can happen in a kickoff but just the straightaway normal kickoff seemed like a bad idea not you know hindsight's 2020 but it didn't seem like a good idea from the beginning on the whole we talked about this this whole season clay helton has kind of put uh return to the pac-12 championship or bust mentality on this team now they don't control their own destiny. They need some help from the conference, is what Clay Helton said uh, last night. But what do they really have to play for? I know Clay Helton was asked, "What's the difference between this year's team and last year's team? The team that lost the last three games of the season?" And he said that this team has more fight in them, which is debatable given what we saw last night. But if you're the players, if you're the coaches, what are you really playing for at this point of the season? I think it's different uh, for the coaches. I mean, you're trying to fight for your job still, which I think is a lost cause. I don't think that matters. But, you know, for the players, there's games you don't want to lose. Uh, you don't want to lose to Cal again, you know. You don't want to lose to UCLA, obviously. That's something you got to hear about. I mean, they heard about all that last year. UCLA had two wins, and they end up beating USC. So you don't want to do that. You obviously don't want to end on another three-game losing streak. They were 5-4 and four last year, finished 5-7. and seven. Uh, You know, ASU, they, they're recruiting pretty well in Southern California. You don't want to, like you know, lose to ASU on the road because Herm Edwards hired a bunch of guys that have Southern California ties. I think there's real reasons you want to play, but it's not the big picture reasons. It's not. I think when they keep focusing on you can win the Pac-12 South, it just seems like, first of all, that's a that's such a low bar. Uh, you've changed in there. Like if, if your goal is, hey, we're going to try to make the college football playoff and we can do it and you get one loss and you're like Oregon or Utah still talking about it, like that makes sense. But you're like not even in control of your own destiny in the South and like UCLA is. I just don't think that's, you know, for a USC program, that's not something you should be striving for. And so it's more about, you know what, we have really good players on this team. We've lost four games. I don't think we should have lost any of them. We want to go out and just win these next ones for the players, for the seniors, for everybody. And I think those are more realistic reasons of what you're, you know, to still talk about we could win the Pac-12 South championship. It just seems like that that was such a low bar to begin with. And then yeah. what are you even looking at for? Yeah. Now, I know last night's loss is embarrassing on the whole for USC's football program, but how detrimental is it in the recruiting aspect? I know Oregon has been kind of cleaning up after UCLA and USC in their down years, and Mario Cristobal was kind of hanging around the Coliseum a little bit long last night, but what does this do for recruiting given how much Oregon has been a powerhouse in that sense? Yeah, hashtag Cali Flock. Um, certainly, it's a big deal. Uh, there's a reason Mario Cristobal would do every interview and walk up and down the tunnel. And USC had a lot of recruits there. Uh, you know, there was a, one official visitor. There was a bunch of other un other unofficial guys, people that were looking at Oregon. Oregon has a bunch of 2020, 21 guys already committed from Southern California. It's a big deal. But we knew USC was going to be in the tank as far as recruiting goes because. They're number 10 in the conference right now out of, of 12. We've never seen something like this in November. They're number like 64 in the country. That wasn't going to change unless USC made some kind of run and went to the Rose Bowl and Clay Helton was safe, or they go in another direction and get another coach. So to me, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal, but if USC goes out and hires this huge name person, the Urban Myers, the world, somebody along those lines, then all those guys that are committed to Oregon, I think the, the game changes. Like now, 
you know, maybe not for this class, but certainly for future ones, that changes the game. So you needed something to change the game. Now it looks like it's going to be another head coach. You get a powerful head coach in there. I think that changes the recruiting game. And you had tweeted about this earlier, Ryan, with the early signing period and how much that changed the landscape of recruiting, how much does that change the timing of universities making decisions, making a decision like moving on from a head coach? I mean, Willie Willie Taggart was fired from FSU today. I mean, how much does this all play into it? Yeah, less than two years. They're going to owe him like over $20 million in buyout money, but they know you can't wait anymore. It, it was different. It certainly was different before when February was a signing period. You could fire a guy mid-January and, and figure things out. Like, you can't do that anymore. If you know this is not a relationship thing where you just kind of let it linger, you have to go now. And I think everyone at USC knows the direction you have to go. Now, it's weird at USC because they don't have their athletic director in there yet, but I, I think that's why it was important to get somebody as soon as possible as the athletic director. Then you make the decision as soon as possible on the head coach, and you just do it, and you move on. You rip the Band-Aid off, and you got to move on, and you start interviewing people. There's going to be competition. you already got Florida State. You have another traditional power. There's only so many schools in the country that can win a national championship. Florida State's one of them. USC's one of them. So that's already a, a powerful school that's going to be you know, competing for a coach that you may want. They already have a leg up now. So I, I don't think you have any time to waste. The early signing period changed the game as far as it's not about being a nice guy and letting people you know, finish out the season. It's like, if you know that's not the right guy, do it now no matter what. Well, as far as timing, we heard reports about USC's athletic director on Friday. No official word. Uh, from USC, what do you what's your sense on that timing, Ryan? Yeah, for uh, so Mike Bowen, the University of Cincinnati athletic director, he was uh, at Colorado, had a few hires there, was fired, and then went to Cincinnati. The reviews at Cincinnati have been pretty good. Um, to me, as far as like the you know how good of a candidate he is, I didn't know a lot about him before. Done some research, and there you know I've definitely seen some mixed things, but. Just the fact that he's been an athletic director before, has his own system, all that stuff is super important. Doesn't know the fight song. All that, I think you improve the athletic department instantly. And if you want to, and I don't think it was going to be easy to go out and get a home run athletic director hire right away. I think you needed to get a kind of bridge athletic director, someone that's going to just fix all the mess that's in the athletic department. And it's going to be a big mess. It's going to be a big job and sh and show everyone again that, hey, this is actually a really top five athletic program, then however, when that tenure is over, you can go out and the next guy you get could be a superstar. I think it's going to be really tough to bring in a superstar right away because of all the mess. It's 25 years of former football players that have no experience. I think you can go for a head coach, though, that uh, is a superstar right away. You can do that because it's still the USC brand as far as football goes. I think the athletic director side is different. We had heard as early as Monday, uh, we were talking to Gerard Martinez offline after this, you've seen USC kind of drag their feet on things like that. I don't think they can afford to, um, but we don't know. Until it's signed, we've seen people back out of deals before. We've seen people get cold feet. So it's until it's signed, you don't know. But it's early tomorrow, we could know. We'll see. We yeah. shall see indeed. But they need somebody. They need somebody in there. And I wouldn't freak out if you're like, oh, it's this guy. If it's someone that's been an athletic director for, at a couple of different places, at a Power 5 program, had done some good things, and isn't a USC person, that that's such so much better than whatever USC has now. I don't know. He could be a great one. Like Mike Bowen could come in and be great. He could be filet mignon. You know, he might be moldy bread. But what USC has been eating for the last twenty five years is sawdust. So even if he's moldy bread, it's a big upgrade over sawdust. It could be 
filet mignon. It might be, it's probably somewhere in between, but whatever it is, it's way better than whatever USC's had, which is basically sawdust. What an anal- a food analogy, Ryan. Pow, pow, pow. You guys are the food analogies. Except I don't think sawdust will actually get you sick, whereas moldy bread could get you True. sick. True. That's a good point. But you need to be sustained. This is, <laughs> this comes from, man, if you want to go back to the uh, St. Petersburg uh, siege during World War II, like 900 days, they were, they were like eating sawdust in their bread and stuff. It was not pretty. Isn't that lowering the bar, Ryan, though? Because you make it sound like anyone with competence is good enough. No, I've lowered the bar because you have to go there. Now... I mean, he's been play- he's done some good things. Like if you look at Luke Fickle, the the, the football coach there, he went eleven and one wherever last year. They've lost one game so far this year. At at Colorado was sort of a mixed bag. I mean, they bring in Dan Hawkins, which uh, didn't work out that well. But I mean, he was really successful at Boise State. You could see. Uh, I've heard from a few different people that John Embry, they they brought him in, and he was more of a former football player that the the kind of boosters and everybody forced upon him. Now you could argue like. Well, who, who lets that happen to get it forced upon them? I don't think he wanted to hire Embry, so that might have been a call over his head, whatever. And then, you know, for Mike McIntyre, he's done pretty well. It's not like this is a great – it's been a great program. They've had some decent things happen. Uh, you know, the basketball hire has been good there. He's had some good hires. Uh, you know, his basketball coach ended up getting the job at UCLA. So I think, you know, they've showed some competence hiring and firing coaches. I think that makes a big deal. He seems like someone that cares about – the athletic department, you watch some of his videos. So I don't think, the, I'm not setting the bar too low, but just someone that's competent is so much better than what USC had because everyone that, everyone that USC's hired in the last 25 years has been like, here, come on in, and this is how we do things. You're gonna, you needed someone that can come in and go, here's how we're going to do things because they've done it somewhere else and we're successful. That, that's all USC had to do, and they've avoided that at all costs. Yeah, yeah. Well, the phones have been ringing off the hook. I know. we got a lot of Periscope things, We too. have a lot of comments coming Should in. We do Thanks the, to everybody. Yes, Ryan? What's the, up? The, the hashtag special teams. Do I, can I go on my little rant Go on, on your phone. I feel like I, and the shotgun we'll hasn't go, said anything. We've had 18 callers so far. So, oh, my uh, gosh. I know. So yeah. let's let's go into it, Ryan. Okay, just real quick. Special check out the site, uscfootball.com. Yes. The, the obviously glaring thing is giving up a, a you know the kickoff return <laughs> for a touchdown on special teams. But one of the things I've been watching over the time has been – Man, that's another kickoff return that USC's returned and failed to get to the 25. And I'm just over and over. It kept happening. I'm like, this can't be good. Uh, I was asking Shotgun to check the numbers. We both were looking at the numbers and stuff. So it turns out, if you remember 2012, they changed the kickoff rule. So if you if you fair catch it or it's down, it comes out to the 25 instead of the 20. Then coaches change their mindset. They're like, we're going to pooch up high and try to you know, get it inside the five and then try to tackle the person before they get to the 25. So then they changed the rule last year, 2018. If you want to fair catch it inside the five or wherever before the 25, it'll come out to the 25. So you don't have to return those anymore. Uh, so returns went down about 900. So it went from like 4,700 kickoff returns in FBS 2017 to 3,800 in 2018. So everyone's returning less. Well, this year, USC's bucked that trend. They're returning more than anyone in the Power Five. They've returned 35 kicks already through nine games, and they mostly haven't been successful. That first one, or in the first game, Velas Jones took it back for a touchdown. But since then, there's only been three other kickoffs that have been out beyond the 26. So they're about 68% of the time, they're not getting beyond the 25. And it's like, you're really hurting yourself with field position. So I just kind of compiled the numbers. Everything. You can check it out on uscfootball.com. I asked Clay Helton about it. And he's like, well, you got that threat with Velas Jones. But it was sort of like, I mean, when I was, I remember being a kid, 
uh, playing Little League. And I think I hit a home run in my first game. And then I was trying to hit a home run for the rest of the time, and I was, like, striking out a lot more and stuff. I feel like that's what USC's doing. They're, they're trying to hit that home run, but they're striking out a lot of the time. I mean, it's one kickoff return for a touchdown in three years with Bayless Jones back there. It's not just this year. <laughs> it's been three years now. It's not like he's a Dory Jackson. And that was against Fresno State, yeah. Yeah, it's not like he was a Dory Jackson. Like, a Dory Jackson is a special talent. You know, Reggie Bush, when he was returning kicks and punts, that's special talent. You know, they're making guys miss, and you say – if Reggie can get the ball in his hands, then go for it. Right. You know, even if we don't block it great, he might still make something special happen. Valus Jones has really good speed. Valus Jones needs the other 10 guys in front of him to block on every on the play and open up a hole for him. You know, and he's not getting many holes. That's been the, one of the biggest issues. I don't even, I don't even blame Valus Jones. Whether he should be bringing it out or not, I think that's on the coaches. So I wouldn't blame Valus for yeah. Because some people him. keep saying, "Well, he he's not playing on offense, so he wants to return every kick." Well, they would tell him, "No, stay in the end zone, or we're replacing you." If, yeah. if they wanted him to stay in the end zone, so it, it's not Valus Jones' fault. He's trying to run, and there's just nothing there. I, I mean, the one there was one the, he returned like the thirteen or fourteen yesterday. He gets to like the ten yard line, and there's already a swarm of people right in front of him which tells you they're not blocking well enough up in front of him to give him room to get going. And, you know, it's just – it's not been a good endeavor. You know, the numbers point out you have the 100-yard one, tremendous return there. That was really big in that Fresno State game. However, after that, you got what? One 33-yarder and one, one – And the, the second best return is by Stephen Carr. Like, it's not even by Valus Jones. And there was a fumble. So there was a, there was a fumble, I think, that, you know, evens out the, the touchdown. But, yeah, it's – it's a mess. I asked Clay Hilton about it. You know, he said John Baxter. He always has confidence in John Baxter and all that stuff. But it's just, I just think it's a poor philosophy. They have been uh, not returning as many the last couple games, but they need to just fair catch them or let it go over their head and just get it at the twenty-five. It, I've been saying that for weeks, and the numbers prove that that's that's the right strategy. Yep. Alrighty, let's go Sorry. to our callers because they keep flooding in. Um, if you are calling, just a general heads up. Just keep it short just so we can run through all our callers. So thank you for calling. We appreciate it. Let's go to our first caller. And we got a lot of comments. Sorry. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Yes, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yes, hi, this is John from in California. And I'm just curious, for the USC coaches and all do they make halftime adjustments? Because from first half to second half, Oregon's uh, defensive coordinator definitely made some adjustments, and the offensive coordinator definitely made some in terms of personnel. And I'm just also wondering, is USC prep for every guy on the depth chart? Because even though, like, we played for Oregon, number 33 didn't play, but number 22 did, both guys are still on the depth chart as a horse. So does the coaching prep for every guy on the chart in certain situations? Thanks for the call, by the way. Thanks. Really cutting out there. It's hard to yeah. tell. He said things about adjustments. Does it seem like the co the coaches do uh, offensive and defensive adjustments at the half? But and there's also a bunch of like personnel questions, too. Something about, something about the depth chart. Yeah. I think he's re referencing Oregon's depth chart with 33 being Cyrus Sibibi Likio. Um, and I think he's maybe he's listed as a starter for Oregon. He did he bar barely was used in that. No, he's been more of a short yardage back. Yeah. He started the game against Washington State because CJ Verdell got banged up. But they've used a, a you know you see die back there. They've used yeah. a bunch of guys. Um, but Verdell, yeah, didn't start the game against Washington State and ran for 250 yards or something. So, but it, yeah, he's he's been the guy that's listed as starter has been more of a 
kind of a vulture around the goal line. As far as adjustments, you know, I think that Graham Harrell didn't sound like he wanted, needed to make a bunch of adjustments because he felt like they were moving the ball really well in the first half. One of the things I did notice is those first two drives – in particular, they move guys around a lot. Michael Pittman was in four different spots the first four plays of the game. As the game progressed, that disappeared. Huh. Yeah. And they stopped using different, you know, just kind of the more unique formations and stuff that they hadn't shown. And they went back to some of the basic stuff. You know, you saw more eights back on a couple drives in a row. You know, just some different things in the second half that just seemed like, all right, we've used this batch of plays that we've devised for this game. And now we're just going back to what we've done all season rather than throwing some of those plays in there as well and mixing and matching you know, the old and the new. It just seemed like they kind of settled on what they were doing. Now, again, the offense moved the ball. If they don't turn the ball over, it could be completely different. Right. But you've got to put the ball in the end zone. You can move it and move it and move it, but if you don't go in the end zone, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So the adjustment has to be what plays can we give Keaton Slovis where the offensive line is going to protect him well enough and he's not going to get hit when he's throwing and he's not going to turn the ball over. You know, it, it's you, you kind of feel bad for the stat line of Keaton Slovis because you got a ball, tip ball off Drake London's hand. Wasn't a great throw. But then you got a one where the receiver was hit. He throws it. Nice interception on his play. He gets hit from behind. You know, he fumbles the ball. It, it's the And even the one that he threw that was the pick six, Clay Helton said his hand was hit a little bit, so that might have played into it. But he um, didn't see the defender on that. Like I, don't think, yeah. I don't know what you're – like if his head wasn't hit, it's like maybe it's incomplete. So looking at the – well, looking at the back end, there's a very small window okay. that he can throw it right on the sideline to Tyler Vaughn. But, it, yeah, it's, it's not a throw he should have made regardless. Um, but I think also I think he felt the pressure because he had to step up there. Kayvon Thibodeau was coming off the edge, and he stepped up into the pocket, and Thibodeau got a little bit of him. So, you know, they've got to figure out that's the adjustment they have to make. Not, well, we're moving the ball really well. What can we do to protect him? Now, you're not running the ball a lot. You know, that's partly – that was completely by design because of the limited numbers, you know, at the running back depth. They're throwing a lot of wide receiver screens and stuff to try to help out the run game, kind of be a you know extra run game. But what can you do to – to mitigate the turnovers, and that's something they never figured out. Yeah. Yep. Real quick, um, I don't think the adjustments were made on the offensive side. Like, it was pretty consistent besides the turnovers. I didn't like that he threw 42 times or whatever it was in the first half. Defensively, though, the pressure that they were bringing early on, forcing sacks and uh, tackles for loss, and then it sort of, like, changed. I think part of it was that the offense was giving up the ball, too. But um, that's looked, it looked to me like the Oregon Ducks did make a bunch of adjustments there on offense, they and they kind of stopped what USC's defense was doing very well at the beginning of the game. Yep. All righty, let's move on to our next caller. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hello. Uh, just my question is, basically around Clayton, and I know you guys talked about it a little bit already, but given that really kind of got fired, like, why wouldn't USC's get ahead of everybody else and try and get Urban Meyer because in my opinion it's like Urban Meyer bust at this point um, thoughts on that thanks, thanks for the call a lot of bad connections here um, <laughs> I think the, the biggest difference between USC and FSU right now is they have an athletic director Yeah, and I think that's playing into the timeline so if they do if Bone is the guy and proves to be the guy they hire then you might see something happen quickly Maybe it's it's hard to say because you know is a guy going to come in and his second day on the job he's going to make a big move like that I I don't know I think you almost have to, I mean there's no other reason that you're being hired than to fix football like that's number one number two number three number four like you don't have to look about anything else so 
If you're being talked to, that's the most important thing. And I agree. I mean, Urban Meyer is the home run hire of all home run hires. There's some people that would say, I'm not saying it's the right or wrong. I mean, to me, if you're going to hire someone for football reasons, it's the biggest no-brainer ever. Like, that's the, the person you hire. There's only so many coaches that have won a championship. He's won at two different places. Home run. Do you want to, I mean, is there some baggage there from what he said? He didn't have NCAA violations, but, you know, he's had players get in trouble. Everyone's had that. He's also had coaches get in trouble. Know, his coach on his staff. Um, so certainly that's, you know, in this kind of movement. I haven't seen a lot of protests at Fox. He's been doing a great job there. I mean, do people like say, I'm not going to watch the Fox pregame show because Urban Meyer's like, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. But if he gets hired as head coach, is that a different story? But I, yeah, I think he's the home run. Um, you can argue either way, but if, if USC is serious about winning football games, he would be the first person on my list. I just think that that's the biggest difference there and why the timeline at USC yeah. is is still just kind of a big question mark because you don't have the person that's supposed to be hiring a head coach or firing a head coach in position. Right. So if you're going to make those moves, who makes them type of thing? Uh, and so that's why I don't know if or when a move will be made you know, to you would want to do it now if you were if that was the decision made because of the recruiting and stuff and everything, yeah. how everything this this calendar is is pushed up. But yeah. without the person that's supposed to be making that move, it makes it it's a big gray area. For sure. I mean, what's the timeline? Is like how fast do you expect someone to be named athletic director and then make their first decision, hiring and firing, <laughs> etc.? I mean, that seems like a really quick turnaround. Whoever is it is. Yeah, I mean, if my guess they would, make that move too. That's still that's not. Don't say that, shotgun. That's not uh, the lo- logical explanations have not been credible at USC. True. I mean, Over five the- and seven. We thought that was it for Clay Helton last year, and you know, right? We we never know because it's USC and all kinds of crazy things. It happens. Like we, there's always something crazy going on. But thanks for the call. Yes, thank you for the call. Let's go to our next caller. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Hello? Okay. Hey, how you doing? This is Corey from Ohio. I just had a question about recruiting. Um, basically, I mean, uh, I've seen the halftime show, and Reggie Bush was kind of pissed off, and he had a good point where, you know, the coaches were continuously putting the players in position to fail, and I just wanted to know if you guys agreed with that. Uh, thanks. Right on. Thank Thanks. you, Corey. It's not really recruiting, I guess. But I think Reggie did mention recruiting. Well, there. did you did you hear kind of Reggie's rant? I at did. Halftime? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I I didn't really agree with it. Yeah, I didn't either. You know, I, I think that it's an air raid offense. They're going to throw the ball a lot, and because you're on your four string running back, then you're not going to give him too much of a workload. Now, in the first quarter, they ran I think it was twenty six plays, and they ran the ball nine times. So that's 33% of the time, or a little bit over 33% of the time, 35 40%, somewhere in there. I didn't think that was terrible. I thought they, they ran the ball when they needed to. I thought that they went away from the run a little too much at times, though. Yeah. I thought they were just spans where it was like, have they run the ball recently? Have they run the ball in the last eight minutes of a quarter or so? And you'd be like, eh, not really. Um, and Keenan Kristen was, I mean, he ran for, I think, 5.3 yards he, a carry. He broke some tackles this game, yeah. too, which he wasn't doing before. Yeah. And, and, they were, and that was the thing. 
you know, that I saw in those first couple of drives, that was when Amon Ross St. Brown had a carry. You know, that's when he was in the backfield a little bit more. Those things disappeared as the game went on. Yeah. So I was kind of – those things I was kind of curious about. Yeah, I think uh, Brady Quinn was getting on Reggie some of that too. But they have run the ball. I mean, it was almost – it's almost been 50-50 up until the last two games mm-hmm. when they had their top three running backs out. So, I mean, I don't – I think Reggie was a little off on that, but it wasn't really impacting. I don't think that was impacting recruiting like because you're not running the football enough. They've run the ball plenty up until the last two games when all the guys were hurt. Um, could they have used Dominic Davis more? No, he went out with a concussion in this one. Um, so, you know, they could have used, like you said, Amon Ross St. Brown a little bit more. But to me, it was more about you're going to have to throw the ball more. I don't know if he, they needed to break USC's all-time record. 57 throws in the game for Keaton Slovis. He broke uh, Todd Morenovich's record. He he threw for 55 times on the road in 1989 against Notre Dame. I thought it was a little too much, but I don't think that has any correlation to recruiting. The recruiting stuff is because USC's in a in this purgatory right now, waiting to see what the future of the program is. That's what's hurting recruiting. Yeah, a school like Oregon is trying to take advantage. Yeah, 100% taking advantage. And you're seeing the Alabamas and Clemson. Everyone's taking advantage of picking out the best guys in Southern California. You hire someone. I think you can hire some good coaches. The one other thing with Urban Meyer is you're probably going to stop that from happening just like Pete Carroll did. Like his main thing was we're going to keep everyone here in Southern California, make it cool to be here. It's the, you know, the Sean Cody's of the world. They would have gone to Miami or Notre Dame or something like that. Pete Carroll's like, nope, you guys are staying here. And then everyone starts staying home. Now they're not because USC is this wounded animal. And if you get a guy like Urban Meyer, that's the first thing that he would want to change. Yep. Thanks for the call. I'm going to dip into questions because we have so many flooding in, but we'll go back to our full call queue in a second. Speaking of Urban Meyer, we had a question from Sports Talk with Troy on YouTube that said, if Urban Meyer is such a great coach, why isn't he still at Ohio State or Florida? Health and scandal, kind of. Yeah. I mean, scandal has not been the direct cause of it, but... There has been some scandal there, and he has decided to leave soon after, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Florida w- did not want him to go. I don't, Ohio State did not really want him to go. I mean, it's not like he was kicked out of those places. Uh, he's he's a great coach because he's won championships at multiple places. And listen, I mean, listen to him talk football on Fox. He's really freaking good at what he does. I mean, he, he you know, for him to be his first year doing that, you see some of these first-year analysts, that it's painful sometimes. He's really good at it. Yep. He's also a master manipulator from what his previous players will tell you. A master manipulator. Yeah. He, he gets played. That yeah. can be good or bad. I mean, he went 12-0 and at Utah. So, I mean, that's, you know, there's he's everywhere he's gone, he's won. So you can argue what all the other stuff was, but I wouldn't argue anything about would he be a good football coach. True. Uh, we already touched on this a little bit, but Pete Luke says, wouldn't it be smart to let Clay Helton go now and give the new coach time to recruit for the first signing day? You'd probably have to have an athletic director in place to do that first. It would be smart, but... Still a lot of question marks with USC's above the head coach. Yeah, and I, don't, I mean, that's that's tough to turn things around. I think you just want to get the process going as quickly as possible. Like It's it's really just if you know, you ha- you can't hesitate anymore. I think in, in the past, people have known, and they've, for whatever reasons, that you know, you're trying to be nice to the families or whatever, and you just don't want to... That, nah, you can't do it anymore because the early signing period just moved everything up so fast. And uh, USC's recruiting class is the worst we've ever seen. I started covering this team in 1996. This is the worst. So you got to try to fix that somehow, or you're going to leave this big hole in your roster. Yep. Last year, there was the worst rank ever, and it was number 20 in the modern recruiting rankings. Right now, they're at 64, 65. Yeah, so way wow. worse than last year. Wow. Apollo says, why was there no emergency podcast for the debacle last night? 
what's an emergency? I mean, what's the emergency? Like it's it's that analogy you had, Ryan, a couple weeks ago about the couple that's fighting, and then when you don't really care anymore, that's kind of when you know. Yeah. Like I I mean, I think if you get blown up by like Cal or something, like that could be an emergency at this point. But at, at this point, you know, losing to Oregon wasn't like I don't think anybody was shocked. Sure. Um I mean you don't want to fifty six to seven is pretty ridiculous as far as the scoring run. I mean that's fifty six to seven. Like holy crap. Yeah, so they showed the highlights from the twenty twelve game, I think it was, when Oregon it was sixty two to fifty one. But that was back and forth. Yeah, yeah. It was just USC could never catch up. Right. It was like that that's the game that's felt like the the most uh the most vibrant experience of a game I've covered. Um just because USC fans were all in it. It was back and forth. Everyone's cheering all the time, basically. And midway through the third quarter or late in the third quarter, you just felt the USC fans going, we're, we're never going to catch up. Yeah. Like, unless we get a, a, a pick six or a special teams turnover, we're never catching up. Last night was completely different. Yeah. Chris says, would you think that the offense would be any different under Cliff Kingsbury rather than Harrell? I'm not convinced this offense has produced what we've been promised. I think so. I just think because I think that Cliff Kingsbury is a more experienced offense coordinator. I think Graham Harrell is very smart, and I think he's made some really good adjustments at times, but I think he's still a young guy and still finding his way to an extent. And that kind of goes back to, you know, are you supposed to be learning on the job at USC or not? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing would be because of Cliff Kingsbury's acumen coming in, he would have had a different offensive coaching staff altogether. I think he would have demanded more. I don't think, uh, you know, Graham Harrell's more of a, he's a learning, he's learning, so he kind of got some of the leftover stuff that Clay Helton left him with. I think Kingsbury would probably have his own offensive staff. Yep. Heather Browning says, Ryan, do the rest have some sort of accountability board that review their calls? The officiating is horrific, and it seems to me that they continue to get worse. Do teams have any recourse? Uh, they can, uh, they get, I think what Clay Houghton gets like, uh, he can complain and stuff, but it's all private. Uh, they, they send them in for plays in for review to David Coleman, who's the VP of officiating or whatever. I mean, Larry Scott commented last night on yeah. the officiating. Aldi enough had a, a presser at halftime. Weird. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't get to catch that one because I was, I went to go meet some people, but that was, yeah, they'll, for the egregious calls at the end of games, They'll do some public uh, thing. They did, I think, week two and week three. The Pac-12 has done that. They're trying to be more um, transparent now, but it's still terrible. Um, yeah, Heather, I, mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's bad. It's continues to be bad, and I don't know until you get a new commissioner if, if it's going to really get better. Okay. And I, I asked a former Sorry. player from I think the '90s if the officials were this bad when he was around. And he said no. Oh, interesting. Uh, what did I, did I say the name wrong? Or? No, my okay was for the peanut gallery in YouTube that really wants to know about Clay Helton's lip. Uh, we oh. So I, I went and I compared my photos from the first half to the second half because people were like, oh, what happened at halftime? He busted his lip open. You know, did he get punched? You know, EJ Price must have punched him. You know, that, that if you guys remember that, <laughs> that was fake, start. fake story that came yes. out that supposedly EJ Price had punched uh, Clay Helton, and that's why EJ Price wasn't at practice. Which never happened. No. Which Clay Helton actually gave a great answer to. He's like, "Well, if he punched me, I wouldn't be here right now." <laughs> that was uh, pretty funny. Yep. Yeah. Um, I looked back at my photos. He had a sore on his lip in the first half. He was yelling, and because it's back twelve refs, he was yelling at the refs a lot. 
and I'm sure that exacerbated it to an extent, and that's why it looked a little worse in some of the photos I had later in the game. But yes, he had a sore the entire game. You know, maybe it was a cold sore, maybe it was whatever. I don't know. Maybe he just split his lip because it was windy out of practice. You know, those things happen. Yeah, it looked like he might have had a little something on the side, of, like under his eye too. So maybe you know, bumped into something. I, who knows? I don't know. But what? It looked like there was a little thing on the, under his eye. I also, see that at all. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that either. Oh, okay. Um, but and then now you're just flaming it. To reiterate, just because uh, I think people are confusing what Gerard said on the peristyle, we don't know anything about like an altercation in the locker room. There were frustrations, but I don't think anything happened in that sense, right, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, we don't know, you know, for sure. But there's, there definitely seemed like there were some, some heated discussions, uh, at least. Uh, maybe there were some more than that, but nothing that we've uh, been able to confirm. So yeah, so that's. We're not avoiding it, people. We just addressed it earlier in the show. Uh, but let's go back to our callers. Yes. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, this is uh, David from Chicago. My wife and I recently stopped talking, so now I guess I know what that means. <laughs> I was told by the, uh, the guy to keep it really succinct. So my question is why and what? Why the hell is this happening, and what the hell can we do to stop it? Thank you, guys. Thanks, David. Uh, go have a breaded steak sandwich and some deep-dish pizza for us. Uh, why is this happening? Because of poor decisions by leadership. You've made bad decisions over the last, you know, certainly the last decade, uh, longer than that, too. It's just kind of built up and built up. You make these bad decisions, and, ever, you know, it might take some time. USC... Is a great program, great athletic department, all that stuff, uh, you know, all this tradition. But you can't just keep having these terrible hires over and over again and expect it to continue to operate at a very high level. So especially the last two athletic director hires, complete disasters with Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan. They weren't going to be able to fix anything. They weren't going to be able to change anything. They've never been in a college administrator before. All of that stuff is a problem. Then those hires after Pete Carroll have all been – nepotistic and just it's just been terrible like there's no reason that you should have took take took lane, lane kiffin away from tennessee after he's been there a year that was just terrible certainly no reason to go get sark who might have been outed ousted there uh in the next year if he would have lost the apple cup that year shouldn't have kept clay Helton. i mean all these decisions were poor and they were made by poor decisions at the highest level bringing in these athletic directors so that's why this stuff is happening yeah that's pretty much it yeah. Yep. What was the other one? It was like, how, how, how do you fix it? Oh, you make good decisions. Like, yeah. so Simple. it's really, I mean, it's not that hard. It's like USC's gone out of their way to make terrible decisions. Like they would make the decisions that no one else would do. Like if you're, if you have a, that's like tracked homes. Okay. And there's all these homes on this street and they're all about the same. There's all 5,000 square feet. They're all worth, you know, $2 million, whatever. And you've just made these horrible choices for your house and everyone else, like you picked a, you know, you, you wanted light blue and green doors and stuff and no one else on the block would have picked that. You don't want to make the decision that everyone else on the block that's your equal would not have made. USC makes these choices that only they would make. Nobody at their peer level would make that. No one was going to hire Clay Hell. No one would have hired Pat Hayden. No one would have hired Lynn Swan. Like you can't hire people that no one in your peer group would have hired. And that's what USC kept doing. They made decisions like they were a MAC team searching for the next great thing rather than being a power blue blood program. Yeah. Yep. Alrighty, let's go to our next caller. Um, I believe it is Darren. Hey, Darren. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. 
Hey, I just had a quick thing for you guys. It seems like throughout the whole season when you watch USC and it's third down and you can tell that someone's bringing a blitz, they just they don't do well against the blitz on third down. And I'm just wondering if the offense is so simple, why don't they throw in some simple audibles um, that the quarterback can do, that Keenan can do to get out of those looks and get first downs and avoid sacks? I'm just wondering what you guys think about that. I think they have those. Uh, there's some hot routes and stuff that if they're, you know, you try to fill the space behind where the blitzer's coming from. I think they address those things. I don't know what the stats are, though, if USC's been bad. I don't know if you know if they've been bad against the blitz. Like oh. third down blitz. I don't have yeah. it off the top of my head. Um, what, they do have some different hot routes and stuff every once in a while. I remember a Tyler Vaughn's touchdown. You know, there was a signal from Keaton Slovis to him. Uh, but one of the things I think is that you have a freshman quarterback and sometimes – he doesn't want to make the wrong decision, so he'll hold on the ball a little bit longer, tries to move around the pocket a little bit more. I think those are you know, all experienced things to an extent that he, he'll only get better at, but I think part of it is on Keaton at the same time. I don't think it's necessarily that, there, that there's not routes and stuff in there. They do some slant routes and stuff on third and shorts. You know, It's just kind of reading the defense quickly because it's third down and, and figuring out even when there are blitzes because a lot of teams have been you – know, some of the teams have been showing blitz and then dropping back in eight. And that's another thing where you know he had struggled with early in the season at you know, the BYU. They keep bringing it up over and over, and teams are going to use that against him. But yeah. I don't think he's necessarily struggling against that anymore. I thought he's done a good job of you know moving in the pocket, biting, adding some extra time to the play, and then finding someone in a pocket or something. I mean, that play he made uh, to throw the first touchdown at Drake London was spectacular. It was very yeah. Sam Darnold esque. You know, instead of running on third down, you know he found a way. Made got multiple guys he did like a figure eight in the, in yeah. the pocket. It's crazy. And that, that first drive, I, I don't, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it was probably four third downs that they picked up, and they were a varying links and stuff. I mean, it was a, what an eighteen play drive. They or something? were like they were picking up third downs like crazy, yeah, and and shutting down Oregon like they really looked like they had their Six, sixteen play drive. Yeah, so you know that tells you. The, that they were able to pick up third downs because you don't get that many plays if you're getting everything on first and second down. Yeah. Yep. All righty, let's go to our next caller on the line. Thank you for all the calls tonight, guys. Wow, it's crazy. I know. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Uh, this is Bobby in Los Angeles. I have three quick points. Number one, for Ryan, the question becomes... I hate when he puts in Mike Garrett with with Hayden and Swan. Mike Garrett brought us Galen Center and brought us Pete Carroll. Mike Garrett wasn't perfect, but in comparison to the two morons thereafter, and reminding me of Pat uh, Swan sitting there saying that we Clay Helton had a plan, and that letter that I, he he issued last year. I wish we could revisited that on paper. We understand our deficiencies in coaching, staffing, culture. I mean, this this man, Lin Swan, what he's done to this program is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And he, he got away with it uh, without any disassociation, which I wish there's a petition. Number two, you actually think that uh, Clay Helton can outcoach Herm Edwards? He already lost to Justin Wilcox. And the way the Bruins are looking right now, Five and seven repeated is a definite possibility. And third and final, the most important part, shotgun. I'm looking forward to your coverage at the end of the week for USG basketball. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, for for the three former football players, Mike Garrett, definitely the best. He actually had worked in the department a little bit. So he's been there for a while. So he, But he would only knew what was going on there. 
Um, I think he, yeah, he's better than the other two by by a mile. But he's still a former football player. He probably still should have been the athletic director at the time. But what he did compared to the other two, he was he was aces. Um, second point was I forget what. Yours is basketball. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, what was the second point? I forgot. Uh, Helton already got beat by Justin Wilcox, and there's no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's this happens a lot with the USC fans that are like, Helton's the worst. He's going to lose every game. Like, no, they're still more talented, way more talented than all those three teams. They should they should probably win them all. They they won't, but that's not. Yeah, ASU has been getting killed the last couple of games. Now they have a bye week. They're probably going to play better at home. Colorado looked like crap, and they looked a lot better against USC. Probably should have beat USC that that day. So, yeah, I mean, these are going to be coin flips, all of them. But you can't just say, oh, Clayton's terrible, so they're going to lose these games. They have better players than all those teams. So I would give a USC an edge in all of them, but just like a slight edge, and they could they could lose them all. Yeah, we'll see. Thanks for the call. We Basketball appreciate it. Basketball does start on Tuesday. They have their first game in case someone wants a reprieve from Clay Helton and football talk. Yeah. We're, I mean, we might, have short to, for Ryan. we might have to, like, be talking to basketball. I can't believe I'm saying guys. That. Not here though. Not now. <laughs> you know it's bad when Ryan just said we had to talk about basketball. Wow, that's the most shocking thing. That's of the, the one with the round ball. That's the round one. Mm-hmm. The okay. round one. Yes. Yeah. Um, Shotgun. I'm gonna go to you for a second. We had some questions about you were one of two people to talk to Graham Harrell last night. Uh, he left during uh, the main media scrum or presser with Clay Helton. People were kind of put off by Graham Harrell's attitude, I guess, if you will, of how he came off in that interview. What were your thoughts about talking to him and, and I guess how he presented himself, if you will? I mean, it's very similar to how he's gone about his business the entire time. I didn't think it was, you know, some other media members were mad that he had left early. I'm like, no, it's the same he time does it every week, that yeah. he normally leaves. You know, he, he's one of the first people out of the locker room. You know, the coaches usually don't take as long as the players. Um, so, and his demeanor was pretty much the same. You know, he said that he thought they moved the ball well. You know, the turnovers killed him, which they did. Uh, he was asked if he would have ran the ball more, and he pretty directly was just like, no. Or he should should he have run the ball more? And yeah. he was like, no. And then he went into, you know, they didn't have the depth with the running backs, blah, blah, blah. Um, I asked him about, the you know, using different guys a lot. You know, I, I didn't realize it at the time that they kind of went away from it as much later in the game, as I talked about earlier, you know, just moving different formations, moving guys around. Um, so I asked him about that, and he said that was just a product of trying to get their best players on the field, try to get the ball in their hands type of thing. Um, you know, after rewatching, then I would have followed up with some other questions. But sometimes it's hard to see all that on the field at the, at the time, yeah. uh, watching the game and shooting photos. But... I know I some people thought, complained that he was eating, but they we really are getting them right after they come out of the the food line. So I don't. But he was finishing. It's not like he would continue to eat during the interview. <laughs> like that that would have been like, dude, just stop. Yeah, yeah. He, he had a chip. Ahead. He was finishing a chip as he walked up, and you know because of how the game went, it's like, all right, just start the interview now. Like start recording now instead of waiting, and you know him getting ticked off or something and decided, okay, you guys aren't asking questions. I'm leaving. Right. Yeah. So he's just finishing a chip at the very beginning of the, of the conversation. So I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. I just think it was, it was a guy who got beat, you know, they got beat and they didn't perform well. So I'm sure he was not happy about it. I think you guys, sometimes you got to remember these are human beings too. Yeah. True. They're not all robots. And he, you know, he's a young coach. He's, I think he's done some really good things at North Texas. I think he's going to be, a, you know, he's going to continue to be a great coach through his career, but this is like his first kind of big time uh, job, you know? And so there's a lot of pressure on him. You know, there's a lot of pressure on the entire coaching staff because 
I mean, he's kind of looked at as a savior, like to save this team. Like they didn't really make a lot of big changes. He was the big change. You know, the they made, you know, you had to change your strength and conditioning coach. But as far as coordinators go, he was the one. So they needed him to perform really well. And, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure there. Yep. Oh, we have a question from Alejandra who says, what's your guys' opinion on the targeting call on Isaiah Pullamout? Letter of the law, it was correct call. You know, it it's one of those – the Pac-12 sometimes does this where they're very letter of the law, and that's the celebration penalties. If you touch a fan, any interaction, even if you don't, you know, the Oregon-Washington game, he jumps up at a pom-pom, 15-yard penalty. Um, so it's very letter of the law there. It's, it's a play you could have let go, though. Now, should they have let it go? I, it's hard to say. I thought the other targeting on the other side on Nick Pickett was very similar. You know, it was crown of the head. I mean, crown of the helmet, face mat, straight to the face mask. So it's a difficult play for a safety. The, the Isaiah one was much more difficult to avoid than the Nick Pickett one because Pickett, you know, Keenan Christens basically being tackled and going down. And yeah, he looked like he kind of and went yeah. for went for a big blow. Isaiah is going for a big blow, but he's doing it as the receiver's in motion. He's trying to duck down and. You know, it's hard to get your shoulder underneath as a receiver's catching and trying to bring his body. Down, yeah. yeah, the the picket one was weird because he pointed on the watching on the replay. He pointed up to the 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 replay screen to like, hey, watch that. And then you looked at it and like, yeah, you lowered your head and you hit the guy right in the helmet. Like, I don't know what. Yeah, it wasn't I don't know like why he was so upset. About it was it. so weird. And they, that was the quickest review ever. Like, yep, review. Yep, that's targeting. We looked at it. Two seconds targeting. Boom, you're gone. And he was like. No, it wasn't. But, yeah, I mean, that's tough. I, I hate seeing guys get kicked out of the game. Three players got kicked out of this game. Yeah, so. it was crazy. Uh, LDR says, do, does SC have a first-round draft pick on this year's team? Yes. Does who? USC. Who's going to be the first-round It won't be in this draft, but they do have first-round. Yeah, round. I, would, I would agree with that. Number 99. Uh, Jesse says, was the difference in speed between the two teams as noticeable live as it seemed on TV? If so, is that a strength and conditioning issue? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. There was no big difference. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't Their skill that. players are fast. So are USC's. And yeah. I didn't see. Yeah, it was a big. That was I mean, a, that's a very. USC did a pretty good job of stopping the run. Like CJ Verdell, if you watched him last last week, watch him run. He was running all over the place, and he he wasn't able to do that this time. That was a very Bruin troll comment from you, Jesse. Uh, but <laughs> the the time when Oregon looked like they were running the most was when they were throwing passes in the flats and you had interior defenders trying to chase after them so yeah they're chasing them from behind to an extent and they're trying to get up field but it wasn't like they turned the corner every single time we're gone i mean christian rector ran a guy down at the sideline you know, they, I, I thought the us defense did an okay job with that it was not a noticeable speed difference there someone asked is keenan christian ready to be running 20 times a game oh i think i got keenan and keenan in my mind Keenan yeah Kristen. yeah I mean, I, I, I don't see why not. Like, he would have run for 14, four, 14 times the, against Colorado or something like that. And then what do you yeah, have 15 yesterday? 15 for 79. So, I mean. That's more than even Marquis Stepp was doing. But, you know, they were kind of bringing him along slow. I mean, it's, he's sort of forced into action. But yeah, it I'm, didn't seem like he was tired or slowing or anything. And, he had 15. And the two other running backs had five eight combined. Dominic Davis and Quincy Junty. And then Amon Ross St. Brown had one. Yeah. So if you give Raw, you know, four or five more carries, then you know, I think bring that number, that discrepancy between pass and run down a little bit. I think it would have helped a little bit. But he could get twenty carries. The thing is, he's not going to break a ton of uh, tackles. Yeah. So you need to be able to create some holes for him so that that, sh that speed can show. And I, I thought he had some really nice runs, getting to the edge and turning the corner a little bit. Um, but you know, again, some of those 
he gets the corner and you go, okay, maybe that's something special is going to happen, and it would end up in a five-yard run. Um, you, you, because when you run wide, you got to run a lot longer, a lot farther to get that that yardage because you got to go wide and then up. So I, I think that's the difference. He was getting some – he was running the ball a long time at times, but not getting a ton of yards, yeah. if that makes sense. And it's a big ask because you don't have a complimentary back to go along with him. You don't have the yeah. guy that can soften up the defense. It's all on him. And that's tougher. I mean, you see those guys that are, you know, faster dudes. A lot of times they have a big back that can kind of give a, give the defense a couple of blows and then, you know, soften them up a little bit. And he doesn't have that. So I thought he ran pretty hard, though, in that game. Yeah, and Quincy Junty had three carries. He's, he's a 210-pound back, so he's the best you got right now to do that. But how many times are you going to give your former walk-on the, run, the ball that you're – is your fifth-string running back. Yeah, and I think Kristen had, and even that first drive, I believe there was two short yardage situations. He picked up the first down mm-hmm. both times, so yep. um, they trusted him from the beginning. Eddie says, uh, how much did last night's loss hurt from a recruiting perspective on a scale from 1 to 10? I mean, the thing is that the, there's a lot more at it than just one game. Gerard yeah. always says this, that one game doesn't change a recruit's opinion, um, basically. So it, there's a lot more to it. But it definitely doesn't help. Yeah. So it's in the two to three range, I would say, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think it's all that important. It's sort of like USC is walking around, like as far as like the USC recruiting machine, it's like a dude walking around. It's like a picture like The Walking Dead. You're walking around and the guy's like lost his arm and uh, then he sprained his ankle. It's like, yeah, I mean, it, it hurt that he sprained his ankle, but he's already walking around without an arm. So <laughs> there's, that's sort of like the, the damage has already been done. There's just sort of like you piled on a little bit last night. Or, Interesting yeah. analogy there. Like Ryan. that one? I just made that one up too. Sure. Let's go back to our <laughs> callers. Um, hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, this is Edward calling you from Seattle, Washington. What's up, and- Edward? Hey, I, I really enjoy you, um, your guys' show. Um, I was a student there when Pete Carroll was the coach, and everybody wants Clay Helton gone, so do I. But Clancy Pendergast has to be gone as well. I've never seen such pathetic defense from you know a USC team. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think people talk about, like, well, I like Graham Harrell, so maybe the new coach is like, if you're going to get rid of the head coach, you assume you're going to get rid of everybody, and there would be maybe a couple of exceptions if the new head coach comes in and wants some continuity for recruiting or whatever. Or I, I think that's where you're going here. So, like, if if you're getting rid of Clay Helton, you're getting rid of Clancy Pendergast. You're getting rid of John Baxter. You're you're essentially getting rid of everybody unless there's going to be an exception or two that the new head coach uh, would want to bring in. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say like you have like. Get rid of Clay Helton, but keep Clay. Like no, it's like you're you're getting rid of this this staff. The whole um, thing. The whole the whole thing is getting thrown out. Maybe someone says, "Hey, you know, I like what Graham Harrell's done. We want to keep him on, or whatever." Do you like somebody on the staff? You like uh, Greg Burns? You, you've done a really good job with this young secondary, and you, you know he didn't have a, a great defensive back candidate that the, the new coach wanted to bring in. You keep him on, but it's all of it has to be up to the new coach. You don't like say, well. We're going to hire somebody, but we want you to keep these guys. Like, no, that's that's stuff USC's done in the past. They've wanted they've hired they wanted to hire people with like, but we got to do it USC's way. Like, no, you hire someone and let them do their thing. If they want to get rid of everybody, scorched earth, you let them do that. Yep. And those two guys are connected, Clay Helton and Clancy Pendergast. If they wanted to break it up, they could have done it last year at yeah. the five and seven season when they said 
whatever Lynn Swan's statement was. We should just post that behind us. Until, that would be an awesome one. Until, <laughs> we should have this up all, yeah, as a graphic, just all the other things. I think Wilner tweeted it out last night as well. The, uh, yeah. the culture. Culture, scheme, personnel, staff, and Penalties, discipline. Yes. discipline <laughs> I think. Like yeah. So if you're going to do it, and then especially when you bring up the Notre Dame, how they had done it with Brian <sighs> Kelly previously, then that would have been the time to separate them since they have not – they're tied together, basically. So if, if Clay Helton is fired, then Clancy Pendergast would yeah. be fired. If Clay Helton stays, I think he would still keep Clancy Pendergast. It, Probably, I yeah. I would find it hard to believe that he would separate from him. You keep saying these crazy things, though. Anyway, let's move on to you. our next caller, whose name I think is Keely. I'm not sure if it's a troll or not. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi. I'm calling uh, with one of the questions that, that I just heard, uh, so it's a duplicate, and that's how last night would affect recruiting, and you answered that question, but um, I started SC with John McKay, oh. and I really miss the pride and the tradition we had in those days. What's wrong with getting a big name hire? We've got the money. What's going on? Well, first, do they have the money? How many other investigations lawsuits and who's ponying up the money are the boosters willing to pay the money because that's where the money comes from not from the school itself you know the school has to pay the base salary but the buyouts and stuff that usually comes from boosters are the boosters willing to pay for it those are the big questions and those are ones that kind of get forgotten about when people say well urban meyer definitely urban meyer definitely urban meyer urban meyer is going to demand a high contract and a lot of money for his assistance and power and is, are people in the athletic department willing to give up power and are boosters willing to pay the money? Those things all play into it if you hire a new coach because you got to pay the buyouts for the old, old staff first. Right. But the thing is, and this is what people overlook, and you're right, you have to go out and hire someone big. The USC's avoided doing that because of the power issue. They didn't want – Clay Helton was someone that was going to be happy to be there and it wasn't going to rock the boat. You need someone that comes in and rocks the boat and puts their system in, and it's a winning system, and it's going to be painful for some of the people around there. Like, oh, my job's going to change and all that stuff. That's what they didn't want. That's what you need. But if you get someone like Urban Meyer, you make money by the time that, that introductory press conference is over because season tickets that were down 20,000 units will go right back up. Donations to the university and the athletic department go right back up. Someone like that, yeah, is he going to have like an 8 or $9 million salary? Yes. Nick Saban has that. Dabble Sweeney has that. You know why? Because they're worth it. And you get someone like that, they're paying for it. You're, it's a bargain what you're going to have to pay to the money that you would make in the athletic department. But you're right. They need to go out and get someone like that. And they've avoided it at all costs for the last whatever. That's the big question is we've always wondered well, what's important to the university and to this administration. And then interesting thing in the Willie Tiger statement is that they said it was the best move for the university, which you wonder if USC has that mindset, right? And they're going to pay a huge buy. Like that might be a record buyout. And that's where the pay. boosters come in. Yeah. and But they still think it's the right move because the way it was going, you know, it's not going the right way. That's why USC needed to make this move before. I mean, that's why it should have been, you shouldn't have been here in this position in the first place, you know. Just having someone that's been a head coach before, is it that much is that difficult to ask? No, but it's for USC it has been. So you're right. Love the call. I don't know if your name is Keeley also. We never got confirmation. Yeah. Um but if it's another Keeley, that's crazy. Shouts yeah. to the Keeleys. But thanks right? for the call. Yeah. yeah, thank you for the call. Uh let's go to our next caller on the line. 
I believe it is Eddie from Whittier. Hello, you're live on television. Hi guys, how's it going? Hello. Um, over here is not going too well. Still bummed out from yesterday. And... Sorry, Eddie. But, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this because, I, yeah, you guys say it's free therapy, but it's kind of like <laughs> pointless to look at this point now. You know what I mean? It's like I can't take out my frustration on you guys. But my point right now is why are why are these players posting videos after, uh, um, like, highlights? Um, why are they celebrating? I saw, I mean, after Kyle Ford, yeah, you know, I'm glad he got a touchdown. But I saw the rest of the bench, like, ex like jumping around and excited like if like if we were winning or something you know and to me i'm like dude aren't you guys embarrassed like where's where's the you know the spirit where's the the thought like you know it's just it's embarrassing like i don't get it these kids have not like are not buying into anything clay helen said that he was going to step back on play calling to take care of you know penalties and you know everything else that he said he would and none of that's changed Nothing's changed, you know. I know we could keep going over and over and over like we've all been. But it's like you had one task that you said you were going to do, and you can't even fulfill that task. Uh, that's so my thing is, do these, do these players have, like, are, are they embarrassed or not? Like, yeah, you could fight for Clay Helton all you want, but where's the embarrassment? Like, you know, why... I, I, that's how frustrated I am. I, I don't get it. Why? Why are you showboating yourself when you're out there getting killed? Or you make one play and you celebrate? Yeah, cool. Like that's your job. Like, I don't celebrate at my job. <laughs> to be fair, Eddie, they don't get paid, but that's you know. True. True. Uh, well, th thanks for the call, Eddie. Yeah, I yeah, mean, thanks, Eddie. I think those are fair criticism of Clay Helton because he was supposed to fix the discipline stuff. He was backing away from the offense, and that hasn't changed. And we're seeing tons of. Penalties are seeing a ton of turnovers. I think more than you got last year. I mean, the turnover, the, the I mean, turnover margin is the worst. I haven't even in the looked Pac it up 12. today. What there? It was it was the worst in the Pac-12 going into that game, and obviously oh, it's worse now. They were one seventeen, I think, going into the game. So they're probably going to be worse. Yeah, because it was a three to one. So like three added to it, right? Um, four to one. Four. Oh yeah, four. I'm sorry, four to one. Four turnovers by there. Uh, as far as like so. <sighs> It's, social media stuff's kind of weird, but if you go on Instagram and see some of the players, a lot of times it's like during a game, like a family member is watching the TV and like say like Kanai Malga gets a sack, they'll like put that on Instagram and they'll tag him. And then after the game, he'll like share that on his story or something, you know? And it's like, yeah, he had a sack in the first the first play of the game or whatever, or whatever it was. And, and then they end up getting smoked later. But, you know, are you going to begrudge this kid for putting, I don't know, I mean, I'm not... I, it's tough. It's, they don't get paid for this, I mean, you know. Social they, media is one thing. Uh, yeah. And just to answer these real quick, uh, turnover margin USC is now negative. Is now 121st in the country out of 130. Uh, they are negative one per game. Wow. Negative one per game. That's, That's terrible. Turnovers lost. They're 119th. Uh, passes intercepted. They're 124th. And a new addition to the. <laughs> this is terrible. D oh, uh, there, oh, wait. There's more. There's more, folks. Fewest penalty yards. They're 118th in the country. Worst infomercial ever, Shaga. <laughs> First downs defense. 122nd in the country. And the new addition I was going to say is kickoff return defense is now 127th in the country. Oof. <sighs> Hashtag special teams. But John Baxter, he has a lot of confidence in. We know that. Now, oh. back to. Social yeah. media and stuff. Social media, it, it's a kind of a gray area to an extent for me. You know, if you're posting, 
you're excited after the game, yeah, that's an issue. If you're re, if you're basically what you're saying, basically what it is on Instagram is a retweet. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. If you're retweeting something that someone has sent to you, I don't have a big issue with it. If you're posting your own highlights, someone has clipped out your highlights and then you're posting it as a post, I would have an issue with it. On the sideline. Yeah, yeah that's what I wanted to get to. Okay. I, I run back and forth during a game, you know, sideline to sideline, until Ryan buys me the big lens. Um, so, you. you when you're going behind the benches, you're looking for reaction shots. You're looking for coaches, you know, yelling or you know, just it, anything that's evocative with emotion. You're trying to get that shot. I'm going by, and in one sequence, I'm not, I'm not going to name the player, but one sequence was the Jawan Johnson turn uh, touchdown, the third one. I was going to say which one because he had three. <laughs> the one where he Herbert had plenty of time down. had had plenty of time to to throw. Uh, Chris Steele actually fell down on the play, I believe, um, from what I was told, and. Johnson's open over the middle, then he runs with it, dives in the end zone over a couple of USC defenders, and he throws the fight down, apparently. Um, so I'm shooting the entire sequence, get some good shots of the touchdown. You know, Dejon Benton's on the field at the time, the freshman. He's really angry. I try to get a shot of that and miss it. Start shooting a different player. They're coming off the field, and they're just kind of glaring at me a little bit, and then they smile and, like, pose. And I was like, are you – it's it's now 40 this is at 49 to 17 17 yeah and you're gonna pose for a photo and now i also saw other photographers i don't i don't like pose shots i don't that's i don't like the shots coming out of the tunnel i like action shots or something that has emotion in it raw emotion not someone posing uh that's just my personal opinion as a photographer so when guys start posing, I usually turn away unless it's like the big group shot, like in between the third and fourth quarter of the Colorado game when everybody freaked out last year. But I was going by, and one photographer was shooting shots, and it's it's around the same time, or it's in the fourth quarter, and guys are like, there's a couple guys that are like flexing and you know smiling for the camera, and I'm just like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. Like that's what matters to you at that point. That's what you're saying. That by your actions, you are saying. This photo matters more to me than the fact we're getting the shit kicked out of us. Yeah. Just just getting run over constantly. I want to make sure I get a good flick for later. That's what matters to some people. And I think some of it, too, goes from the top. You know, that's something that's being tolerated. Oh, it's a, it's a whole culture thing. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a full yeah. – um, It's funny because the Mike Leach stuff that came out uh, a few when he was, like, kind of being critical of his team and calling him, like, fat and lazy or whatever – uh, some of the journalists po- pointed out that it would follow Mike Leach a lot is one of his mantras was you're either um, something about allowing it. You're you're either in, like enabling it to happen or you're allowing it to have something like that. Like you, anything that's happening in your program, you either uh, you're putting up with it or allowing it or whatever it you're is. Either it's teaching a, it or enabling it. Basically. Yeah. So something like that. So it's like you're allowing that behavior to happen where there's no consequences if someone – if one of the strength coach or something sees people posing, you're like, you're out, you're gone. Get on the cart and get the hell out of here. You know, like something like that happening. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I remembered the, the exact leech quotes, but that was basically what you're saying. Like, it's either if it's happening, you're allowing it to happen under your watch. Yeah. Uh, Gerard says we have to put shock on an eight second delay now. Um, <laughs> let's go to think. You're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen, is Mike Leach's quote. There you go. Okay. You're coaching it or allowing it to happen. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for the call, Eddie. Glad we could be a little bit of therapy for you there. Uh, let's go to our last caller in the queue. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? Hello. 
Um, quick, quick question. Uh, yeah, I'm calling out of Dallas. I'm a big fan. Been listening to the show since you guys had Harvey Hyde on, on the coach. Uh, I'm trying to figure out. I've seen Florida State let go of uh, Willie today. What's holding us up outside of our athletic director not officially being named to get a head start and, and have to deal with the Florida State, possibly Michigan, if they let him go, even though he had a big couple big wins last week? What's holding us up? We all know hell, something's gone, like recruiting in December, it's, it's huge. So if we can get a good name in there, we can possibly save our recruit. Yeah, December 18th thanks. is a big – yeah, thanks for the call. Uh, December 18th is a big deal. I do think it's all about the athletic director stuff. And, uh, you know, USC had won a couple games in a row. I don't think Dave Roberts really wanted to – the interim athletic director wanted to make that move. There was, I think there was a possibility that something could have happened this weekend. But USC's fired their last two coaches midseason. I don't think they wanted to do that if they didn't have to. So if they, if they have an AD hire eminent, then I think there's a bunch of reasons not to make some kind of move now. Now, if we don't hear from this week, if they don't make the, uh, the announcement um, – you know, and they go out and lose to Arizona State, then maybe something happens again. USC going to ASU, bad things seem to happen to, to coaches when uh, – the embattled coaches when they go from USC to Tempe for some reason. But, yeah, I think the timing right now is just really weird because they – you know who the athletic director is supposed to be. You know, they're finalizing all that. Does it – do we, you know, hear who it's going to be tomorrow? Timing-wise, it all sort of happened with having this blowout loss and not having a, a permanent AD, but maybe one coming in within, like – 24, 48 hours. So it's just, it was a weird time, I would say. Yep. All righty. Thanks for the call. I, I mean, we kind of touched on it earlier. Yeah. Uh, just to go back real quick, because uh, mm -hmm. Eddie brought up uh, Kyle Ford's touchdown. I have much less of an issue with teammates yeah. celebrating each other, especially a guy like Kyle Ford, who you know has gone through a whole process with the knee injury and stuff yeah. to come back. And his, that was his last night was his first time playing receiver. Yeah. That was his so first catch. First catch. You know? catch. Yeah. yeah. And so, it happened to be a touchdown, you know. So I have much less of a problem with guys celebrating others. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's some guys like Michael, I mean, uh, not Michael Pittman, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, when he scores a touchdown, there's no emotion on his face. You know, you, you don't see anything. He's he going, expected to as do he it, comes yeah. back to the sideline. However, when Drake London scored, that was the first. That was the biggest smile I've seen from Amon Ross St. Brown this season because he was super excited for his teammate. Those are things you want to see. Yeah. Even in a blowout, you still want your guys to be excited for their teammates, be picking their teammates at encouragement, not solo posing. Yeah, I would agree with that one. Uh, Jeff on YouTube says, "Did Keaton Slovis look overwhelmed last night?" I don't think he looked overwhelmed. I just. He didn't get a ton of help in, in some certain areas. I think the protection could have been better, and I he didn't play great. No, he was frustrated at times, like when Tyler Vaughn's got knocked down on that that one interception, and uh, you know it's it's sort of like there was a series of bad things that happened, uh, but I don't think they piled on. They were you know one after another. I mean that one not seeing the linebacker and throwing that pick six was certainly a, a big deal. But the other ones are just like. You know, there were kind of weird things that happened on those plays. You know, he's he was out there trying to make things happen. That that first touchdown that Shotgun mentioned about where he did like a figure eight in the in the huddle, he kind of tried to do that later, and he ended up you know getting hit and fumbling. So I mean, yeah. it, it, I don't I didn't think he was out there looking overwhelmed or anything. And Harold kind of said that as like you know he holds on the ball. Someone asked him if he holds on the ball so long type of thing. He said, well. When when it goes well, people are like, "Oh, that's a good thing." <laughs> yeah. When it doesn't go well, they're like, "Oh, that's a bad thing." Yeah. You know, it's. I think that he does a good job of buying some extra time in the pocket. Now he's he's just. It's a work in progress of knowing in college how long that clock lasts and knowing who's on that backside. If it's a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau who's really quick off the edge, 
then you got to know a little bit more. You know, you got to speed it up a little bit more. Now he did a good job. There's probably four, five, six times where people were probably watching and going, "Oh no, he's about to get sacked," and he rolls out right before that and yeah. throws it. You know, he he had some pretty good spatial awareness in, in that game, uh, but it's something that's, that's going to be a work in progress for him. In that sense, we had a question from someone who I forgot who asked. But they said, "What does the season look like at this point if JT Daniels is still healthy and QB one?" I mean, I go back to I think they would have won the Washington game. I think they would have won the BYU, BYU game. game. Yeah, um, I've explained it on previous shows, so I don't I don't need to hear all your your freakouts right now over <laughs> this. But uh, I think that Keaton played really well in that Notre Dame game. The game last night, you know, would they have been better with JT? Does JT take care, better care of the ball? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I didn't think that there was glaring things like it was in the BYU game or the Washington game where I thought the JT skill set would have played up a lot better. So yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe the same. I mean, the throw, the Tyler Vaughn's interception, JT's throwing that one too. <laughs> Receiver got knocked down. Yeah. So you can't really blame for and, that. And, yeah. and to be fair, does JT beat Utah? I don't know. Like, that was a weird, that wasn't like a typical. The YOLO J- raid. There was a YOLO raid. That was a little different uh, in that game. So I don't know. I mean, that the way that would they defend JT Daniels a little bit differently. That that's the the head scratcher of the whole year. You know, you get Matt Fink come in there and play really well and win that game. But you know, he's a little more unorthodox. Do you win a more straightforward? You know, head to head against Utah. I don't know. Yeah, in that sense, I believe it was Gerard who actually tweeted about it. As far as turnovers go. I think he said one turnover, a couple turnovers, maybe it's the player. If it's systematic, like we've seen this season, how much do you blame that on the coaches and their ability to fix things in practice rather than, hey, you have a rookie quarterback who's making mistakes? Where does that blame lie, in your opinion? I mean, you've had three different games where your quarterback's thrown three interceptions, um, and two different guys have done that. So it's some, yeah, I think (laughs) uh, there could be some value there for what you're saying. Yeah. Um, in that sense, uh, Trek Ranger said all the injuries, all the missed tackles, all the mistakes, and not playing an entire game all season goes directly to how we practice. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, some of the changes that weren't made, we talked about after, you know, should have been made after 2017, after the Lin Swan, you know, comments and speech or whatever, then, you know, there should have been more changes then. But I really think the approach, you needed to change things a little bit more, too. Um, and if you feel like the team wasn't being physical early on, then you step it up and you do an extra day of pads and you do more full tackling or any full tackling. I, I think that's something as a coach, you need to do some things different sometimes. And that's, to, you know, to a fault, I think Clay Helton will have a plan. He comes up, they come up with a plan in like July and August and they stick with the plan for the whole year. And they're just like, well, that, that was our plan. So we're going to go with it as opposed to this wasn't really working, so we're going to do something different, you know, and that, that's just not been their MO. And I think, you know, you have a more experienced head coach. We've talked to people that have done that. Like, yeah, sometimes you just walk in and go, this is wrong. And they'll do something crazy, like throw all your assistant coaches off the field and you're going to, you know, make everyone do something crazy. Like stuff like that happens in football and it doesn't, hasn't really with Clay Hilton and USC. So I think the, 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 the practice approach, I think you needed to make some adjustments there and they've just always kind of stuck to the plan. We've reached uh, the half-hour mark, so let's get some rapid-fire questions and final questions. Ryan, I don't think we've given Periscope the any love at all. There's been, a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of stuff on Periscope, but a lot of comments, though. People are like, okay. commenting as we go. I'll, I'll try to find some questions. I, I'd like to point out that when Oregon went up 14-10, I tweeted, turnovers, penalties, missed tackles, because it was missed tackle on that touchdown, or two missed tackles. It's the themes that have remained the same under Clay Helton. And Eddie brought this up. I thought Eddie was, was a great call by Eddie. 
Um, but it, it's the, the same results as well. And the, those things you said you're going to change in the offseason, I'm going to be the CEO, we're going to focus on these things, they haven't changed. So that tells you the direction that the program is, is you yeah. know, the trajectory that the program is at right now. And something that people in my mentions never let me forget, how many times have we heard Clay Helton say that we'll correct these mistakes? Yeah. We'll fix these mistakes going forward. Uh, 93065 Trojan says in all caps, like, how is it you three media folks can figure that out, yet these professional <laughs> coaches can't or won't? Why? I, I do think some of it is your you've you've been taught a certain way and i think clay helton learned a lot from his dad who was as far as win loss record goes was not a very successful head coach and they have a philosophy and you kind of stick with it and you know it's not always you're not always making adjustments to that you kind of this is what you believe in and you go with it sometimes to a fault to the point where you're not winning anymore you need to make a change and they haven't done that it's important to, in coaching and teaching both similar it's important to be consistent however you have to know when to make adjustments. It's, consistency works great. You know, I was when I did student teaching, I had uh, sixth graders, or I mean, I had uh, eighth graders and ninth graders. So I went from top of the totem pole in middle school to bottom of the totem pole in high school, and it's just one grade, it's one year, but there's such a different because of that, and you have to make adjustments as you go. You know, and coaching is the same way. You know, if you're coaching at Alabama versus Western Michigan, you have to make adjustments as you go type of thing. So um, I think that's something it's important to be consistent, but know when to change things up. And I don't think this coaching staff has been, has done a good job of doing that. Yep. Uh, Jasper Smith, I know we don't do hypotheticals, but he said for a new hire, would you want a defensive minded coach or an offensive minded coach? I don't care. Like this is a coach, like a coach that's good. Like a coach that has experience that's one at a high level. And it's good. Like if he's defensive or offensive, it doesn't matter to me. Like just someone that's proven, a proven winner is what you want. Would you rather go defensive just because the last couple have been offensive? I'd rather go proven winners. So like if he's yes, yeah. well that's a given, Ryan. Hopefully, for I mean, it, I, really, that doesn't matter to me at all. Like that, it, I could care less. It's more about if Urban Meyer is more of a defensive coach, then yes, or whoever. But Urban Meyer is the number one choice for me. Uh, but like a Bob Stoops, I think he's more like I think he could be good, more of a defensive guy. Uh, but someone that's been a college head coach at a very high level, if he's won a national championship, that's great, or been in that conversation, that's the kind of person that I would want. Yes. Oh, are we talking about athletic director? Because that's the job that's open. I would want someone who's been an athletic director previously and yeah. has experience hiring it, and firing. It's not that hard. Like, get people that are good at the jobs you're hiring them for, you know? True. Don't hire short order cooks to be your surgeon. That's all. That's all we want, you know? <laughs> LDR says, will this year's SC-UCLA game matter knowing it's a crosstown rival rivalry? Do you guys think fans will be excited to attend the game? It always matters. It's a rivalry game. That matters a lot. It's a, it's huge in LA. Yeah, you want to win that game. Like UCLA was 3-8 and eight last year, and that mattered. So, or 3-9. They and, were 2-8 and, 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 and then they were 3-9 and nine at the season. 2-9 yeah. and nine coming into the game. Yeah, I think they were 2-8 and eight, then they lost to like Stanford later or something. Yeah, too. they had a game afterwards. Uh, Anytime, it doesn't matter if you're both ten and zero or you're both zero and ten. You know whether you're playing for the Super Bowl or the Toilet Bowl. You know you want to beat your rival. Yeah. Yep. So all, all these games matter because ASU, like we talked about, with you know Herm Edwards, you know doing some better things and being able to recruit Southern California, you could lose some dudes there. UCLA certainly you want to beat them. And Cal, what is it like thirteen in a row or something? USC had beat Cal, and then mm -hmm. losing last year. You don't want to lose two in a row to Cal. Like there's there's reasons to win all of these games. Besides, like it's not 
to make the playoff. It's just these games are important because that's they're important. In that sense, LDR wants to know what do we think the final record would be for the next three games. I, I asked Shotgun in the podcast last week, do you think USC will be bowl eligible? I said yes. Yeah, I think two and one. I my preseason prediction was seven and five. I'm gonna stick with seven and five. I think they go two and one down the stretch. They'll lose one of those games. They shouldn't lose any of them, but they'll lose one, I think. And you're not gonna place which one they lose? Uh, right now, I'd put it to UCLA. Um, Interesting. Even though that's at home, I mean, both of those other, you know, I, Cal looks so awful without Chase Garbers. I don't know if he's going to be back, but I don't even know at this point if he comes back there in such a, a rut. Um, ASU sort of on the decline right now too, but we'll see. I think they'll probably bounce back, sort of like what Colorado did when USC played them um, two weeks ago. But UCLA is playing good football right now, and they can. They can run up, you know. They, we saw Joshua Kelly last year almost get 300 yards. I think they're going to be pretty powerful. So I, I would, I'm, I think they're going to lose one. And if I had to guess, it'd probably be UCLA. Um, Shotgun, I'm going to come to you in a second for any last minute questions if you see any, and Ryan, uh, some Periscope if you see any. But I just want to kind of end off with this uh, uh, question because I asked this to Dan in instant analysis last night, but Ryan. When things are kind of turbulent in the USC program, people kind of look to figures like you and Dan as kind of the lighthouse in the storm. Us? <laughs> sure. How do you see these next couple of weeks playing out? How do you? How does this go forward if you're a USC fan? What should they look look uh, forward to happening? Yeah, and it's funny, but people do that. I mean, we've had so many people come up to us. Like I went to the 1923 club at halftime yesterday and just so many people coming up and talking about – how you know important we've been to them, and it's crazy what, what about people. The guy we met last night, who we have a picture of. Yeah, oh, you want to put uh, yeah, Jack, Jack, uh, Will, is it Jack Wilson, right? Yes, yeah. one of the flyers. The, yeah, he flew uh, one of those uh, helicopters over there, and and Dan Weber. I was talking to somebody, media people on the field, and Dan Weber pulls me aside, like, "Hey, the one of the pilots wants to meet you," and he's just like. I love this stuff. I hope Super if you come nice, to San Diego, yeah. you want to come golf with me and stuff. I mean, he was great. And he it's just like offered to golf with me. I'm sad. Oh, well, I don't know. He knows I golf or whatever. But I can't golf, so can, that's fine. Well, yeah, but just kidding. Stuff like that happens a lot. And so I get yeah. – you don't realize it, but do people do kind of look to you for some kind of guidance or whatever. But I think you just have to have some faith in Carol Fult that if she's the right hire, she's going to bring in the right people. And – just the good thing is the bar is pretty low. Like USC was so bad at making important hires that just doing a mediocre job is going to be a big improvement. There could, there's some potential for home run stuff, but just being competent at hiring will put USC in a much better spot. And USC has those inherent advantages that you get a couple good people in place it's it's ready like it's a it's a powder keg it's ready to explode just get the right people there and they've been they just so avoided doing that in the past like they just didn't want to bring in somebody that was good at their job and i don't know why it's just more people protecting their little fiefdoms and stuff i think if you you trust carol Fult to come in and sort of fix that and say look we're not doing this status quo anymore we're going to bring in people from the outside they're going to tell you how things have been done and successful and they're going to implement those systems at USC. And with all the resources and all the advantages USC has, that should be a light at the end of the tunnel. If that's what the administration wants. Again, it goes back to that. You know, we brought it up ad nauseum for the last five years is what does the administration, the people above the, the head coach or assistant coaches or players on the field, 
what do they want from the football program in particular to be for this school? Is it just another program? Is it the flagship program of the school? Is it something that sells the school to, you know, international students? Because a football program can do that. Same as a basketball program can do in March Madness, and you see all the you know skyrocketing application numbers, if that's what they want, which means you have to invest in it. And that means time, resources, money. That means going out and finding someone you know that's more expensive, but that also means providing resources for support staff and all those things that you've seen a program like Clemson. <coughs> what was Clemson six years ago? You know what they were known for? Clemsoning it. Yeah, <laughs> because they would mess something up all the time. Like, oh, they were going to have this great thing, they're great upset, and they blow it. That's what they were known for. What happened though? Dabo Swinney came in, and he wasn't supposed to be the guy. You know that that can happen. Pete Carroll wasn't supposed to be the guy at USC. You know, Dabo Swinney comes in, he makes things happen, and when he starts winning a little bit, they start investing more and more into it, and that's in facilities, that's in the support staff, that's in having a life coach on the on the support staff and that's the only job i really need guys I need to you're gonna be a life coach, coach. nice well you're bringing, you're bringing I don't know everyone if, down i don't know if i'd be good at it but <laughs> yeah. yeah but you have to trust carol title this, no. to, to change out the the administration the athletic department so they want that that's that's what you kind of have to have some faith that they're going to do and then the way she defended the basketball program and stuff and roy williams there when she was at north carolina kind of you think she'd probably do the same sort of thing at USC, but we'll see. This is this is we big. This is a big see. time right now as far as getting a real athletic director in there and then seeing what they do with the football program. Yep, it is a big wait and see for sure. That's why you should stick to uscfootball.com for all your news and coverage. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, Shotgun, any final questions, thoughts that you want to break in? Uh, Joan just said revenue. The administration wants revenue. Well, you know what you got to do? You got to spend money to make money. That's true. usually, yeah. usually the Very way it works. True. Uh, breaking news, Trek Ranger said, Brian Kelly's still in the field, Ryan. <laughs> Brian Kelly's still out there? Uh, he's still in the field on that onside someone, kick. Someone get him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> someone go get him. LDR said, who's the top recruit left in California? Justin Flo is still the top remaining uncommitted recruit. Uh, if you're looking at guys that have USC in their list, at least, I mean, Justin Flo was supposed to be there. I didn't actually see him myself, um, but he, you know, Gerard said that he and his brother were supposed to be there. If, you know, he was there, so he's still looking at them. But the other guy that's still in their list, you know, has USC in their list, C.J. Stroud, the quarterback yeah. from Rancho Cucamonga, who's getting presented his All-America jersey tomorrow. Um, he was at the game as well on Friday, on Saturdays, too. So that's probably the top recruit for USC. Um, I think there was one more. Ryan, any Periscope love? Shucks Periscope. Thank you to everyone who watches. Despite Jared us. Cruz said, why was USC wearing black socks? Was it for Helton's last game in L.A.? Like a funeral? I don't know. Yeah, Dan Weber hates the black socks. I thought it looked good. Uh, I, don't but I didn't really like them, to be honest. But I don't, don't care. I don't much care about much about stuff. Uh, Bob, <laughs> that's just stop right there. I just so don't care that much the, about the stuff. Clip, clip that. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about like uniform things. Like people care. Like uh, Bob wants to know chances Carol Fult will overrule or veto uh, Urban Meyer hiring. I think that's the thing you have to look at. Is that if she doesn't want it, then. Who's the athletic director? And do they, if that's who the person wants, what kind of case can you make to the president of the university? Like, here's all the reasons why. Um, that's what you have to do. And that's, that's why the, the stronger the athletic director that he ends up getting hiring, that hired, the better chances the football team succeeds because then you can go the extra mile to get whatever it is you, you need to, to make the program win. Yep. Joe Trojan, so are we all UCLA fans this weekend? 
UCLA plays Utah this weekend, I believe. Oh, dude, I mean, it's, you can't worry about that stuff. Like, it's <laughs> they're fans; they're, they're allowed to worry about. Yeah, Ryan. Trying to get I mean, to a Pac-12 championship. I, I, we talked about this earlier. Like, is, that's not what you need to focus on. Like, but you were team enjoyed the season, Ryan, just a week ago. Yeah, enjoy the season. Try to win your game. Don't worry about well, if if UCLA can beat Utah, then you know, like. You got to fix all the stuff in your own backyard. Like you can't really worry about what your neighbors are doing right now. So I, I, I don't think that's they can realistic. still root. They're fans. I would. The question I, is, do you root for UCLA, your rival, to help your own chances? And that's always a a you difficult root for, conundrum. You root for Jaden Daniels to throw more picks than Keaton Slovis. That's what you want to root for. <laughs> uh, G Mart uh, brought out a good point. Gary Bryant Jr. is also still. An uncommitted prospect. Yeah. He's a top 15 prospect as well. Wide receiver from Centennial. And I had, I think, one more, which was, did Kanai Malga give the Oregon running back's towel back to him after he tackled the towel instead of Oops. <laughs> the running back? Oops. Hey, he, he I just thought he played, he played pretty well, I thought. You know, he did some. He made some He made plays. some nice plays early. Uh, that was a big missed tackle, though, because that could have been another – because that would have been back-to-back tackles for loss near the goal line, forcing a third and five or so. Yeah. Instead, they missed a couple on that one. Jalen Red, Rancho Cucamonga as well. Mm-hmm. A lot, of, like that's the thing when you and look. He across, celebrated with Josh Delgado, who finished at IMG but went to Bosco. Yeah, and Mikel was it right? Mikel Wright, Valencia, and Antelope Valley. Thomas Graham. Thomas I interviewed Graham. him when he committed. Rancho Cucamonga, former USC commit. Diamondor yeah. Lenore and Nick Pickett, also in that secondary, were both from Salesian, yeah. LA Salesian. So Thomas Graham was dropped by USC, and uh, he's True. he's started ever since he got to Oregon. Was Ronnie so. Bradford, special, yeah. Uh, but a lot of dudes on the Oregon team that you saw that USC was recruiting and and either gave up on or lost, and yeah, it's a it's a big deal. That's that's why you need to get a real coach come in and just fix things, and they will. Yep. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. We're back with our normal schedule Thursday f- to preview USC t- going on the road to take on ASU. Did we just do an hour and forty minutes? We did. It's Oof. that. It's that type of time. Um, we had like twenty phone calls or something. That was crazy. No, we actually had uh, 40, 40 so phone calls. We had forty phone calls. Sorry if you didn't get through. Uh, we tried to get through them, but uh, only so many calls we can take in the show. But thank you for everyone who ca- uh, called in, commented, all that stuff. We appreciate it. Sorry about Facebook if you're watching this late. We'll get that sorted out uh, going forward. Ryan, do you anticipate any emergency podcasts or shows this week? How well, so that? if there's a there's a potential for an athletic director announcement early in the week, we will see. So just kind of stay tuned to uscfootball.com for that. I don't know if that would warrant a podcast, but we'll do, you know, we're going to do our, an emergency one. Yeah, we'll do but. our regular Harvey Hyde podcast tomorrow talking about stuff. And uh, we'll do, you know, the Dan Weber one on Tuesday with me and Keely and Dan. Uh, but you know that might change depending on what happens with the athletic director hire. But I don't. I don't anticipate. You know, Clay Helton did his conference call tonight, so I don't think he's going to be fired. I don't think they'd let him do that and fire him tomorrow or anything. But you, the big news would be this week if it's an if an athletic director is hired. Yep. So stay tuned for that. We got you covered. But that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Thanks so much for watching. We appreciate you guys. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Thursday. Bye. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.